Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for your word, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. Bless Pastor Josh as he presents your word and send your spirit to our open hearts and minds to the message. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to be in uh, Revelation chapter 1 this morning. I would encourage you to turn there as we're going to look fairly closely at some of the language in Revelation chapter 1. Most of us have seen a, uh, one of the AT&T commercials with Miss Lily where she says, it's not complicated. Most of us have seen one of those commercials where uh, our friend Lily, AT&T, comes up and you know, talks about how complicated all of these phone plans are and, oh, they're just so dreary-making. And, and then she says, of course, it's not complicated. And there's something in us that desperately wants all of the parts of our world, all of the things that are complicated that we don't understand, all of the different parts. We want something that, that distills it down so it's not complicated. One of the great uh, historians, uh, Samuel Huntington, once famously told one of his students, uh, somebody who, a journalist you might know, uh, Vareed Zakaria, he said this, quote, if you tell the people the world is complicated, you're not doing your job. They already know it's complicated. Your job is to distill it, to simplify it, and give them a sense of what is the single cause or what are a couple of powerful causes that explain this phenomenon. Now it might seem an odd thing to say, but Revelation, John's book of Revelation, is not that complicated. Its message is really very simple. Now the reason we might think that doesn't make a whole lot of sense is because if we've ever read through Revelation or heard anything about it or maybe our exposure is to the Left Behind series or another sermon series, we we know that there are symbols all over the place and if you listen to one sermon on Revelation, uh, the symbols mean Russia and Nazi Germany and if you listen to the sermon over here, it's actually not Russia or Germany, it's the Saudi prince, and the Syrian king. And so there's all of these symbols which are extremely complicated. And then there are these numbers that seem to mean what the numbers are, right? If I say that I'm 39 years old, you don't have to think, whoa, is he trying to trick us? Like, what does that really mean? You know, I'm 39. Uh, You don't have to wonder what that means. But in Revelation, there are numbers we're thinking... 1,260 days? Like, what's that code for? How is that not complicated? And then there are all of these images and these symbols which stand for people and governments and the powers and there's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And, and often when we hear the book of Revelation preached, the message is anything but not complicated. But I want to argue with you, and I want you to come along for a six-week series 
on the very simple truths and themes of the book of Revelation. And these themes are not complicated. And in many ways, if we see the themes and the core message of the book of Revelation is not complicated, we also see that the symbols themselves and the truth they point to are not only understandable, but grow our faith. So let's read. Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was the sound of rushing water. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. And he said, do not be afraid. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And so write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand. And of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of the Lord. John is the disciple of Jesus. He's the disciple that Jesus loves. And almost all scholars agree that when John is in exile on the island of Patmos for preaching the gospel, for 
touring churches and encouraging churches to remain faithful to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. He is exiled there in his 80s and likely into his 90s. Which tells us a couple of things. It tells us that when Jesus walked on the earth, was crucified, was raised, and when he ascended, that John was probably just a little older than some of our oldest cadets and gems. If you're in my catechism class or just graduated, that's probably how old the Apostle John was when he was walking around on earth. And he is now a 90-year-old man whose heart has poured out for the church for 60-plus years. And now, as he is in exile, wondering how God will use him, perhaps there are some of us here this morning who have that same wonder in our age, God sends a vision to him and says, this is what I want you to say to the churches. And so we're going to get a message. And in many ways, the rest of the book is that message. And we're going to talk about, in this chapter, from whom does this message come? And finally... We're going to ask ourselves this morning, what is our response? So what's the message? There are two things. John, write. And to you and I, read or listen. That's the message as John begins Revelation. Now you and I know that when we hear something or when we read something, Our ability to hear it or our ability to respond to it will depend on from whom the message comes. Okay? If you go to a doctor, and this is a brand new medical student, never had a patient, you're patient number one. And that doctor says to you, well, it seems like you have a very rare case of such and such a disease, and I suggest we uh, operate immediately, and I will do the surgery. Our response will probably be, I think I'm going to get uh, a second opinion. But if the surgeon we're meeting with has done thousands of these surgeries, holds up our x-rays, our MRI reports, our blood work, and says it is absolutely imperative that we head into the emergency room right now. Your life is at risk. I've seen hundreds of patients in your very situation who that afternoon have died. We need to get you in now. We're like, put me under. I'm ready. What matters is who is speaking. When we need a new roof, we ask somebody who knows roofs. When we are concerned about our education or our children or grandchildren's education, we ask teachers. When we want to know that a message has weight, we want to know who's behind it. And so as John says, or as the voice says, write. And as the voice says to us, read and listen. 
we are told right off the bat who is behind this message. And there are these truths about Jesus. We are told where he is. Now one of the symbols is lampstands. And most of us are, we don't have lampstands anymore. We have lights. But Jesus is among the lampstands. He's not far away. He's walking among them. He's right there. And you probably caught it as I was reading. He's so close that when John falls down on his face, Jesus is there to place his hand on John's shoulder. This matters because this message is not coming from a disembodied voice somewhere far away. We're not getting it through social media. It's not coming over as a public service announcement. This message to us, for us to listen and to read, is from a Jesus who is right here among us. And the Jesus who is among us is wearing some very specific clothes. He is dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. We shouldn't be thinking royalty here. We should be thinking priesthood. We should be thinking about the things that would separate us from the God who is in control and the Jesus who is putting his hand on our shoulder is the one who has bridged the gap between God and the people. The one who said, it is finished. We actually hear that in the book a couple of times. That's what Jesus is wearing. And he's got feet like bronze to remind us of his strength, of his being a soldier warrior for his people. His voice is like the sound of rushing water. And in his hands... He's holding the stars. Notice, the angels who are protecting the churches. Are like breadcrumbs in his hand. Quick commercial break. Do not take pride in your guardian angel because your guardian angel resides in the very hand of the Jesus who holds you. Jesus does not turn his children over to angels. He is right there among them himself. He is holding the angels in his hands. And out of his mouth is this sharp, double-edged sword. His face is like looking into the sun, which we cannot comprehend. The features of Jesus are not just one of warmth, one of kindness, one of presence, they are also ones of unmistakable strength, power, and might. And just like before when we listened about the message, when we hear from a surgeon, we want to know that this surgeon not only has the knowledge and the bedside manner to communicate, but also has the power to complete it. 
We want a Jesus who not only can put his hand on our shoulder and say, do not be afraid, but we also want someone who can actually do something about the tragedy of the situation we face. And that is the Jesus John sees as the vision begins. A Jesus who is both strong and kind. Who also gives us his names. And these names are crucial. I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the A to Z and everything in between. I am the living one. And so this message comes from the resurrected Lord, right? This is not the crucified Jesus hanging from the cross. This is a Jesus who has ascended into heaven with marks on his hands, the side who has conquered death and hell. The strong, capable Jesus. And he says, verse 17, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. When the person you didn't vote for gets into office, don't be afraid. When the diagnosis is not what you want, don't be afraid. When your plan after high school goes haywire, or the plan of your child goes haywire, don't be afraid. When the realities of the street creep down Division Avenue toward Cutlerville, don't be afraid. When the threat of nuclear bombs makes us remember our duck and cover drills, don't be afraid. But don't be afraid Because the keys of death and Hades and the powers of this present darkness are held in the hands of the one who died, who rose, and who ascended again. And this picture of Jesus we are given is not just a picture of a poster we put on the wall and we say, isn't that great? He's strong and mighty. The Jesus we are told about and the Jesus we will see in Revelation is a Jesus who is active in the midst of all of the things that we are afraid of and afraid for. The Jesus we see here in some ways is the one that we get in the temple. 
The one who enters into a situation and sees that everything is wrong and doesn't just say, well, this is kind of problematic, but a Jesus who rears up, sees people he loves being harmed, being mistreated, being abused, and the world not the way that it is supposed to be and doesn't say, shoot, now what am I going to do? But who takes that, turns it up over and says, this is how I'm going to make it right. That is the Jesus who says to us, with hand on shoulder, do not be afraid. Our Savior Jesus Christ is living and active in the world around us. And this vision is not just a vision of what has been or a vision of what will be. It is those things but it is also a vision of the right now. That the Jesus with a sharp double-edged sword coming out of his mouth with flowing white hair, voice like thunder and eyes like burning fire is on the move to preserve and uphold the ones he loves. Who holds the stars in his hands, who is moving among the lampstands, and who says to us, do not be afraid. Let's pray. God, we're going to spend just a few moments in silent prayer with our fears in front of you. You know our fears. Not just the ones that keep us awake at night, but the ones that sit underneath the things that keep us away at night, awake at night. Here's about our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. Here's about the world they're growing up in. Here's about our parents and what's happening to them. Here's about our church our schools, our leaders. We thank you, God, for this uncomplicated message that you, Jesus, are strong and kind and you tell us to not be afraid. Help us through the power of your Spirit turn our fears over to you. For you are our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.